This live episode was recorded to raise money for my dear cousin Jesus Jimenez Carrero, a 28-year-old father of three who spent the last three years of his life battling a rare form of cancer. Unfortunately, Jesus passed away just a few days after the fundraiser was held. He was everyone's big brother, and we want to dedicate this episode to him and his family. So please donate in the description below to support his wife and his three children after his passing. Your help really means the world. And Zeus, I love you forever, big bro. We live to carry on your legacy of kindness and friendship. One day, I know I'll see you again. But hello, hello, hello. What's up, everyone? How are y'all feeling? So I'm Celeste. I'm the host of the Untitled Archives, a, pod a podcast coming to you soon. Um, this podcast um, archives the stories and legacies of Laurentians and folks of the Merrimack Valley. The Untitled Archives is a collection of stories and photographs from community members to document and preserve our existence in this beautiful, beautiful city. And in tonight's conversation, this will be an Untitled Archives X Old Dirty time capsule crossover episode. Yeah, let's give some snaps to the title. Um, tonight we're gathered here uh, to celebrate Daniel and his first published novel, yeah. Twice Upon a Time. <laughs> Daniel Elias Carrero is a Dominican-American writer, public speaker, and podcaster who grew up traveling between the Midwest and East Coast before settling here in Lawrence, Mass. He got his bachelor's in creative writing and nonprofit organizing from Providence College and is currently in the process, not even currently, it's out now. <laughs> um, Daniel's written work, podcast, and social entrepreneurship exemplifies his focus one community, health, and masculinity, as well as his diverse range of thought. Yeah. That's you. Yeah, good looks. <laughs> I remember when I met you, we met through mutual friends back when we were in high school. So this was some time now. Um, and we definitely did Lawrence teen shit. <laughs> there, was Growing up. <laughs> there was that one time uh, me and Celeste were smoking weed in somebody's apartment. <laughs> and then we had to walk all the way across town for some reason. I forgot why, but it was like an hour walk. Think like Jackson Street to like deep in Tower Hill. Uh, that was like a 20, 30 minute walk. I was bugging. I definitely walked into a pole and was like making direct eye contact with everyone and no one was like, Shorty, there's a pole in front of you. Yeah. <laughs> I think Celeste was mildly concussed after that. But, you know what I mean? And we kept it walking. Yeah. <laughs> but I knew him during his SoundCloud rapping era. And I knew him as a writer, the writer that he is, the writer that he was. And I was, I've always been a fan of how he's been able to craft these worlds through his words, right? He really is a true storyteller. Um, it's an honor to be here and to like host this conversation with y'all, to celebrate you, to celebrate your work. During the day, Daniel and I are co-workers now. He, like, 
like we mentioned before, is the producer for my show. But there's so much I still learn from him and hear from him. I also teach yeah. creative writing, and I'm, I'm honestly really digging it. It's a good gig. <laughs> yeah. Um, but Daniel, how are you? How are you feeling tonight? My cash raises. I can't complain. <laughs> I really can't. Life is very good. I'm surrounded by a bunch of loving and beautiful people. Like, literally everyone in here has has seen me at different moments and have encouraged and supported me. Um, there's honestly no other room I'd want to be in right now. So I really, nah, for, I really appreciate y'all. Yeah, yeah. yeah. so But Daniel, is there anything else you'd like to tell us about yourself? I think we're going to talk about how I got to Lawrence, right? Yeah. I'm just down to get right into it. Alrighty. Um, I definitely love asking people when they and their family got here to Lawrence, what that journey was like, right? Because when we think about Lawrence as the immigrant community that it's always been, we all have a story that got us here, whether we knew, someone knew of someone that was already here, right? So how did, how and when did Lawrence appear in your and your family's life story? It was so um, far from view. I had never even heard of this city. Um, I was about 13 years old. I was living in the Dominican Republic from 11 to 13. I did that weird thing. Instead of being born in the yard and coming to the US, I was born in the US and I went to the yard and then I came back. Um, and it was a really weird summer, that transition. I started off in Ohio living with my cousin Jesus, um, who we're currently raising money for. Please don't forget to donate. Um, and his family, my cousin's Victor, my cousin's Eliana. Um, we're like the only Dominicans in Ohio. Like, believe me, they all think we're Mexican. It's kind of funny. Um, and so, yeah, I was out there. I was like, I was so troubled and like angry because DR was really rough for me for two years. Um, and when I came back, it was just the beginning of an emotional process. So I was out in Ohio. I came back to New York. And then somehow I ended up in Nashville, New Hampshire for like a month or two. Nashville. In Nashville, New Hampshire. Yeah, yeah. I was in Nashville for like a month or two living in a room with my mother at her aunt's house. I mean, at her cousin's house. Um, and shouts to them for really like, you know, helping us out. Yeah. But by God, is the minimum wage in New Hampshire. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Not sustainable. I mean, raise that 750, you know what I mean, to like at least a good 10, right? Um, but yeah, we were really struggling out there in Nashville, and my mom was was just like, was, we were kind of desperate. So luckily, my aunt, um, my father's aunt, living in Lawrence, just called us up, and she was like, yo, just, just come live here with us. Like, just, we'll figure it out. We'll get you settled. Um, so we go, I live in my aunt's basement for one year, and my mom is just hustling. She gets a, a good enough job where she could eventually get us into our own apartment where we've been living at um, since I was like 14, 15 now. Um, and I, I just remember too going through a lot of battles with my mother in that basement because I was a, a rebellious adolescent and that didn't change for a long time. Um, 
at least the adolescent part has changed. The rebellious part is still a little there. But yeah, that's how I got to Lawrence. Eventually I go to Lawrence Catholic Academy. I make my first round of, of friends. Shout out to Romulo Cabrera, that's my boy to this day. Shout out to Alex Capellan, that's my boy over there. You know what I mean? Um, and yeah, yo, that was really my introduction to Lawrence. And all I remember doing was just walking, walking my ass off, walking from north to south, from east to west, from Tower Hill to Prospect to the SLE, um, to the Weatherby, all the way to, to, to the, um, what you call that place where, where they got the suburbs at? Mount Vernon, you know what I'm saying? And yeah, yo, I fell in love with Lawrence. Um, and Lawrence, I felt like really adopted me. Um, so I really have a lot of gratitude with the love for the city, you know what I'm saying? For real, for real. That's, that's, that's that story, you know what I mean? Yeah, and now, in terms of your book, through reading it, there were many moments where I found comparisons between little, <laughs> little Lanza and Lawrence, right? So how did Lawrence serve as an inspiration? My, yo, it's, I, I, don't, I don't know if this is just me, but my adolescence was of the utmost importance. Um, Cause that's why I, I think I love Lawrence so much because I spent my teen years here, but I, I feel like I can't say I, I still got my ties and my love to Ohio and New York, but Lawrence is just like where we made memories. Um, Lawrence became the landscape to the book and not just obviously the location, but um, the people, the memories. And I think, you know, the core memory, the, the drives the book forward. Um, well, honestly, the, the deaths of the young people um, that, that happened when I was going through you know, my adolescence. When I was 16, I remember um, the homie Lee, Lee Manuel, I believe yeah. was his name. Um, he was murdered. And I remember hearing about that death. I, I remember just wanting to like, collapse because that was the first time like I felt death was like really that close to me. Um, I, six degrees of separation. Somebody I knew knew him, and even just that amount of proximity, it was like it was it was a, a bit traumatizing because I was like, damn, that could have been me. Um, and you know, and even the manner in which he died too, like that really, yeah. we all put our love and faith in people, and we never know when we may may be betrayed or not. You know what I'm saying? And I'm gonna hold that there. And then and then there was the death of Lisa, fears unleashed. Um, that happened maybe a couple years later, but you know, those are those are two memories that really drove the book forward. I was trying to understand, I think, through the book, how to process those emotions, experiences, and um, how how I was going to make my own way and how I was going to survive. And I remember the the irrepressible fear of just like if I don't do something now, if I don't make an impact, make a difference, then I would never be remembered. And that's cat because. We remember people based on the love that they share with us, not not the accomplishments that they um, they achieve. That's why I had to quit rap music, you know what I'm saying? Because I was out here just trying to be somebody through that instead of just trying to be myself and just just love, you know what I'm saying? Um, yeah, yo. Also, just a bunch of fights that we got into landing the book. Um, a whole bunch of like, you know, kind of drugged out episodes. We was on some crazy shit, you know what I'm saying? Um, I won't lie. 
the ages of 14 to, to 16 to 18 were very wild. And um, there were many illicit activities committed. But we'll leave it at that. Honestly, um, you even like touching upon that, I feel like for me as a as a reader, when I was going through the experience of looking through the book, I felt like it was a tale of a lot of what we had gone through during our, our teen years, like growing up here in the city. Lee was probably one of the first person, the, the first like people I had met when I had transferred to LHS through mutual friends. And I vividly remember our early mornings together, like starting off our day in the library. Michelle, you were there then. And when it had all happened, I felt like there was no, so many of us to, to this day still feel like so much has been left unanswered. And I feel like with this book, you preserve a lot of these people and their memories and love alive. So I really appreciate you for that. Um, I know we're here to not talk about the book too much, but something that I, as soon as I opened up the book, as a lover of Lawrence history, <laughs> the book right off the bat starts and places you in something that's a little bit of a mirror to what had happened in the 84 riots here, mm -hmm. um, which I feel like is something that as a community we don't address and talk about as much. I think there's a pattern here in our community where these historical moments of importance get shushed and like pushed into corners of silence. And the 84 riots, which I encourage all of you here, if you have family members who were here in 84, to really ask those questions of what it was like to be in this community then and how, how that time period really was. Um, yeah, folks literally fighting to like live here, to be here, to have their stance here, and then but like even then that was kind of the shift of like, yeah, we're here. Yeah. We're staying here. That was that was the moment Lawrence became home to 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 this uh, Latino community. Um, I think mostly, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. So they were race riots, if anyone's particularly <laughs> provoked by that comment, you know what I'm saying? So um, we're talking a lot about the past, but what's a Lawrence memory that you hold dear? <laughs> I remember, damn, yo, okay, this, this is kind of like dating myself. One day, when I was walking back from Movement City, shouts Movement City. I got jumped and I broke my jaw and I was wired shut for about three weeks, three to four weeks. I recovered far more quickly than the doctors anticipated. They were like, what? It was his through the wire era. It was my through the wire era, like no cap. And I vividly remember walking through most doors and whenever I would go to my homie's crib and I was like, yo, I'm outside. They'd be like, I just come in. They would hit play. This is this was Eric. This was Eric specifically. He would hit play, and it was through the wire by Kanye, and I was heated um, because I was like, "Damn, bro!" But 
Shouts to all my homies because even in that period, they just stood by me and they were like, yo, bro, don't worry. When you come back, you're going to be better than you was before. Um, and yeah, it sucked having my jaw wired shut for as long as I did. But now I really, really appreciate being able to chew my food. And um, yeah, yeah, the little things, man. It's the little things. <laughs> um, you talk a lot about your boys and how they were a source of like support for you coming through in the city. How were you able to weave them through in this novel? Yeah, so I, I actually talked about this a few, uh, a couple times with the homies. Is like all, all the characters. There is no character that you can point to one of my homies and be like, "This is you." But all of the characters, you can point to them and see a little bit of all of us, especially all of my homies in them. You know what I mean? Um, I think about Jeremiah. I think about how hot-headed and kind of loud I am. And I think about my homie Jaron. And I think about his experiences and the shit he went through, um, living at home with his dad and just doing different things, right? I think about the the character uh, Salvador Jr. Um, he he's a he's a scholar like me, but by God, he's also kind of a, a coward. You know what I'm saying? And not in like the worst sense, but it's like you need a little bit of fear, and he has a very strong and healthy sense of fear. Okay, he's the one telling his homies like, "Yo, we should get the fuck out of here," and then they don't listen. Okay, um, and I think yo, also another character, Salvador Senior. This one was inspired by the homie Joshua Pachardo. Um, Joshua. He's not here. He's somewhere out there in Lawrence, maybe working on his Puma work. But I've always been inspired by his by his art. And I remember like being 16, 15, and like walking into this abandoned building somewhere on Island Street and just seeing one of his pieces like just thrown up on like this dusty ass brick. And it just like made the whole room beautiful. You know what I mean? And um, so I, I based one of the characters on, on, on him and um, or inspired by him and just in the painting aspect, you know what I mean? So, yeah, yo, just, just always taking a little bit from everywhere I go and, and almost creating new people, you know what I mean? Yeah. How long did this work sit with you? So I, I should also like give even the preface to that. Um, I remember when I first told somebody I wanted to write a book, I was like, I'll write it when I'm 27. And then I met I met uh, the dean of my of my school, uh, Dean Ralph Tavares, Dean T. He's an OG. This is at Providence. Yeah, this is at Providence, and he looked at me like I was stupid. Cause he was like, Why are you gonna wait? You can do it right now. And I was like, Oh shit! I didn't even think about that. And um, yeah, so I started it in college. Really, like during COVID, I just started writing like sketches. And then I think it was um, maybe around like yeah, it was like twenty, really twenty twenty to like twenty twenty two is was the main body of work was created. So it took about two years. Um, twenty twenty three was really just trying to figure out like how to bring it to y'all in a way that would not require me to um, acquire an agent or a publisher because I know I'm trying to I'm trying to be that for myself. You know what I mean? But yeah, yeah, it's a journey, man. It's an experience. It's got to sit my ass down once a day for an hour and just get something on the, on the page. You know what I mean? Two years of that eventually work. How does it feel now to see all that work manifest into what we're here for today? 
it feels it feels wonderful. It feels humbling um, because I feel a lot of like praise coming my way, but I also feel the need to remind myself, yo, this is one step in the journey, and these people are uplifting you to keep taking that journey and keep moving forward. I feel proud. Sometimes I open up the book, I'll, I'll read through a page or two, and I start crying because I'm just like, damn, I'm nice. Um, <laughs> yeah. I And the crying doesn't happen because I'm nice. The crying happens because what I wrote was just hits me so hard. It's just like experiencing that emotion again. And I hope y'all have a, a similar experience when you read it. You know what I mean? Yeah, even I'm not even gonna lie. There were moments I had to like put it down, like, ooh, gotta really unpack this. Gotta sit with that. But I think that's important healing work that we we must do too. A thousand percent. You know, I think the book is dedicated towards healing, um, particularly, you know, I'm, I'm a man and I feel like I really only understand the male experience and I'm only scratching the surface there. So I've always just seen like the pain that my brothers go through and not like just my biological brothers, but like I'm talking about my brothers out here in the street and shouts to my homies over there, you know, and, and you know, I just want us to be okay. You know what I'm saying? And I want us to be good and I want us to, to to love ourselves and to love each other. Um, that's the only thing that's gonna save us in the end. Yes, sir. Yeah, snap that up. While we're here talking about your journey, like publishing for yourself and having that sort of agency over your work, is there any advice you would like to share with us or any folks that are possibly wishing to share their work or go on the journey of self-publishing? Don't follow the rules. <laughs> I get into a lot of um, rule-following arguments with people. Um, and I think one of the biggest things that hold us back is thinking that there are certain expectations, um, certain things we have to do to accomplish them, and really it's like, just stop overthinking and do it. Um, I, luckily, I'm a very impulsive individual, so it actually made the writing process very easy. Um, I've done a number of reckless things, like taking out a car loan, um, and <laughs> wishing I did different things, but yo, the wheels are in motion. I got the car, I gotta drive it. You know what I mean? If you're thinking about getting that car, now I'm not really talking about a car. If you think about it, just do it. Bro. Stop worrying about the consequences. Just run out and take that leap of faith. You might land on pillows. Or you might land on brick, but you won't know until you land. <laughs> All right. Um, we also wanted to open up part of this night um, for the audience to share any questions. I feel like we've, we've definitely kept it pretty vague on like the premise of the book and what you might encounter. But if you do have questions about the book, about Daniel, about any of this, 
Shouts to homie Fadi and Sedan. Those are my brothers. Um, and I just remember this old, this old white dude, tall as fuck, just pulled up on us. He was like, hey, what are you guys doing out here? He pulled up on us and he was like, you guys know this is illegal, right? You guys know this is impermissible. My man Tommy just threw that shit on the floor, man, sneaky, like, bro, we pulled back for it. And then we get the call from, from our advisor. Um, shouts, shouts to Josephine. <laughs> But she brings us into the office, and I, I'm preparing for the El Boche. I'm preparing my ass to get on a plane back to America. And she goes, and she goes, so I heard you guys got caught smoking a little spliff. And that's just like this little, little 67 year old lady, just like mad casual, was like, yeah, just go farther away next time. And I was like, damn, we just getting off like that? All right, bet. I looked at my boy, and I was like, it's fine, let's go, we out here. And then we did exactly that. We went farther away next time. Um, so yeah, 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 just share that story. Do you want to share that for Tommy? Um, on that note, yo, yeah, opening the floor for questions. Anything? Zayden, you asked mad stuff, but don't ask the first question that you wrote, okay? That's a little intense. Yeah, that was pretty intense. <laughs> yeah, I mean, but yeah, yo, give y'all a second, what's good? Camila, que lo que? So, I know you mentioned um, having that most of the characters are based off of our individuals in your life. Mm -hmm. Question, what would be the most impactful, like, I want to say individual in the book or character that ha that made the biggest impact? That you're like, nah, I can't leave this person out. But it was like, you know what I mean? Damn. So, I would say that the, the, the main characters are actually Jeremiah and Emmanuel, their cousins. However, there's a, another pair of friends who I, I like, I had to figure, it was, I had the hardest time figuring out where to place them. But by placing them where I placed them, I really, I, I was able to strike at the core of, of what I wanted to accomplish in this book. The two most vital characters are Ishmael and Salvador, okay? Ishmael and Salvador, you meet them initially in the, in the prologue and again in the epilogue. Yeah. Um, they're the ones who are born during like the early Lawrence years where, you know, the Dominicans and Puerto Ricans had just moved in and they, they really, um, damn, I guess this is somewhat of a spoiler, but like they're really the ones telling the story and it's really their voice and their, their memories that we're, we're seeing in a really weird way. I won't get into like the metaphysics and shit. The book is kind of like, you know what I mean? It's semi, uh, what's the word? Um, 
surreal. That's the word. There's a lot of a lot of sur uh, surreal things happening, and a lot of dreams, and a lot of like illusions, and trying to distinguish between delusion and reality. Um, and so it's really through their eyes we're watching everything happen. You know what I'm saying? They're really subtle. They're really easy to forget until you get to the end, and then you can't forget them. Because um, that's when I cry the hardest. Is when is at the end of their story. You know what I'm saying? So now you all have to pick up the book. <laughs> yeah. To understand. Follow up. Yeah. And just to add, I think that most people One of them has the, the Salvador and Ishmael line where um, Ishmael was like, yo, bro, I got a bag of paint. And then Salvador was like, yeah, but you can't paint. And he was like, no, but you can. And so, you know what I'm saying? Sometimes you just need your homie to take you out the crib and go show you what you really got to do. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. Any other questions? Zayden and then Santos. Yeah. Um, so you mentioned how people in your life inspire certain characters. Uh, the same side of that coin, were there any characters either in literary media or in literature that you like inspired you to write the similar character in your book? I'm so glad you asked that because yes, yes, very much so. Um, Y'all ever seen the Boondocks? Yeah. <laughs> Can y'all make some noise for the Boondocks real quick? Shouts, shouts Aaron Magruder. He is the dude who wrote the Boondocks. Um, and he is a, a fantastic writer and cartoonist. Um, and so you meet, you meet uh, in the Boondocks, you have Riley Freeman and Huey Freeman. But in, in this book, you have Huey the boy and Riley the boy. Um, I don't know if y'all remember uh, Tom and Sarah. Uh, Tom was the lawyer he, who had the white wife. You know what I'm saying? Essentially, like, I'm like, yo, what would happen if you and Riley were their kids instead of, like, from Chicago in the hood, moving to Woodcrest and all that and whatnot? I even straight up stole the Andover in this book is called Woodcrest. Yeah. I'm just going to tell you straight up. You know what I'm saying? Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Shouts to Boondocks, bro. Shouts, shouts to Boondocks. It's kind of interesting to see how that would have been a source of inspiration for this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, Huey Freeman is one of my one of my cartoon heroes. You know what I mean. So you can definitely tell I, I gave him a lot of ups. You know what I mean. Yeah. Santos. Yeah. Um, Do your thing, um, B. So my question would be to both of you guys. You know, make it entertainable. When did you guys decide like I want to make a podcast? Like, how did you decide that's the best way to reach your audience? <laughs> You wanna, do you wanna tell the story first? I've been, I've been talking for a grip. Alrighty. Um, I think for me, when I think about diving into this like world of podcasting, I definitely had to think of what was the, the form of media I wanted folks to like hear these stories, right? Um, I'm a little bit of a Lawrence like history nerd. And I think a lot about how 
in our community specifically, a lot of the stories that have been like documented and preserved have been stories of like white folks and immigrants that have left throughout the years. There's have there's been like a lack of effort in documenting the stories that are happening now in our community. Um, and as someone who like has come from a family that is always talking some shit, you know, sitting down, getting to hear all these stories, I was like, that's how I want to do it. I just want to record these conversations that I'm having with folks. Um, so it's storytelling through like memories, through like family photos, and really getting to sit down and share like a really personal experience of what it's been like to be in this community and to be of it. Um, yeah, and I think that's what's worked, worked best for me. I'm also a big fan of podcasts. <laughs> I listen to them a lot, and I it was something I've always really wanted to play and, and learn about. So I'm happy to do it now. I have some, literally like two of my producers are in the crowd right now. Um, Adriel Jimenez and Fania Henriquez, who have both helped me out with this. Um, I also believe like things like this are a collective effort in that, in, especially with this type of project. Yeah. That's a fact. I, I, I was starting off a little on the solo end, and by God, that shit was hard. Um, but little by little, I'm getting more help, right? And it's getting easier. But but even to, to, to tell you like how I decided to make a podcast, um, my good friend, Gene Paul, who uh, I also went to college with, um, he gave me this book called The Almanac of Someone Novarek. Um, look it up. I forget his first name. Um, I believe he is an Indian brother. Um, and yeah, yo, drop mad gems in that book. And one of the gems was, is like, if you wanted, if you're thinking about starting a business, uh, try a podcast. Um, and then I was like, damn. <laughs> Why am I thinking of that? Because I look at all my favorite shows, um, Flagrant with Chelsea. I think about Abbott Preach, um, and my favorite YouTubers and shit like that. And I'm like, yo, these dudes are really just like in their cribs, just talking with their friends and shit. You know what I mean? Um, and I think too, the other thing was like, I had a dream of starting a small business. And you know, I had to reflect on like what I actually have to offer in terms of value to um, people, right? If you're if you're a business, you have to give something to people in order, you know, to be a business, right? Um, and the thing that got me was I was like, damn, yo, I got. I was looking at my college resume. I'm like, bro, I majored in creative writing and public and community service. Um, what the fuck can I do? I was like, it was getting really rough. I was like, I was like, oh, yo, I know mad shit. I've read mad books. I know mad people who like to talk about shit that they know and talk about books. Let's do a podcast, bro. Um, yeah. And that's why we did the podcast. You know what I'm saying? Um, just got to start off with what you have. Um, ask 
mindset-based thinking versus the um, deficit-based thinking. Thinking about what you, what your powers are and what you have instead of thinking about what you don't have um, and using that as a basis for creation and creativity. You know what I'm saying? Um, and like even now, now I'm like, yo, fuck the business shit. Like I actually just like having a podcast. This shit is fun. Been learning mad shit about cameras and tech. Like I want to do a movie or something, you know what I'm saying? Because this is like film is cool. And just even having these conversations is just cool, you know what I mean? It's just ill. For sure. Shout out to homie Santos. That's my boy who be helping me on the podcast for real. You know what I mean? Shamelessly plugging. Go crazy. But on Wednesday of this upcoming week, we're officially putting out some like teaser and trailer promotional material for Untitled Archives, so. Be on the lookout for Untitled Archives next Wednesday. How was it, what's the number on that? 15, was it 15? It's the 15. It is the 15. I don't know why. I looked at my watch like it was going to tell me. Yeah. Um, the podcast is brought to y'all by our day job. Um, <laughs> <elevated thought. laughs> um, that was good. Yeah. So keep, keep an eye out. Some For really sure. dope creatives on it. Yeah. Yeah. Frandy. Yo, it seems like, um, you know, you tapped into a lot of, like, your history when it comes to writing this book. Mm. Um, and all our history deals with difficult times. I wonder, like, when it came to writing this book, like, what were some of the more difficult parts to get through? Or maybe one difficult part, you know, that really, like, is, you know, it, it touches on the soul, but, like, you don't gotta get it out of your system, you know what I mean? I don't know if you know I, 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 I kind of know what you mean, yo. Also, shouts to Fran Diego Velez and, and Marlene. Um, I'm going to butcher your last name. I always say it wrong. I'm sorry. Marmolejos. Thank you. <laughs> it's the M's. Because um, y'all were my OG mentors at Gifted People and at Movement City. And straight up, like, I still look back on those experiences as fundamental for what I do today. Um, low key, if I never learn how to be a, a music engineer at GP and with y'all, I would have actually never gotten the job I got at Elevated Thought working at the music program they were trying to launch. Yo, but not for nothing, your first podcast was at Gifty. And my first podcast was at Gifty. That's facts, that's facts. We was wilding at that time. That was a crazy podcast. I'm glad we didn't put it on. I would have got, would have ruined this one right now. Um, <laughs> It was a really great show, too, eh? Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, it was. It was good. It was good. Just not when I was on. It's entertaining, but not not Yeah, yeah, yeah. I guess. Um, But yeah, yo. To answer answer your question, what was difficult writing the book? So, in in the book, part of the part of the book deals with suicide. Um, A good a good a good portion of the book is asking why we shouldn't, you know, commit that act, right? And I think the hardest part was actually deciding how to present that, how to tackle that, Um, because. 
you know, damn, it's just it's just really it's a really hard subject conceptually as well as emotionally. Um, and one of the things that really fucked me up when I was writing, or it was actually after I had written it, and I went back and I was like, ah, do I change this? Do I don't? There is a book um, called Influence, and in the book it talks about the concept of social proof and. Whenever there is a, um, a highly publicized suicide, you see a lot of people um, suddenly feel motivated to follow through with those thoughts. Um, and it's really, it's really sad. And I had to ask myself, it's like, how do I present this in a way that is, that is healing more than harm? Um, and that is, to this day, to, to this moment, I still don't know if I did a good job there. You know what I'm saying? Um, Y'all read it and you tell me. You know what I'm saying? Can I ask? Please. Um, thank you for highlighting on that um, in the book, just because a lot of people don't know that suicide is more common in uh, males. That is true. Uh, men are, you know, check in on the men around you and in your lives because, you know what I'm saying, we be going through shit that we just don't be talking about. Um, and a lot of times it's that repression, um, I believe, that leads to, you know, those thoughts and those actions. You know what I'm saying? Where we either harm ourselves or we harm others. Um, yeah, yo. Mm. because I'm writing something completely different right now. And um, even, even looking for the subject matter uh, requires to understand what phase one is going through in their lives to a certain extent, right? I just got into college. I had just come out of like, well, a gap year. Um, and I was really like, I was still processing a lot of things I had to process, like emotionally. Um, a lot of those, those, those deaths we experienced as youth. I remember too, even when I started writing it, somebody I knew had actually just went to jail, unfortunately for a very, a very, um, a very harmful act. And that really, um, those were the things that were on my mind, you know what I'm saying? Um, Sheesh, and I, to, to tell you what I'm working on right now, what I'm thinking about right now, I'm trying to understand religion and faith in the modern day. We live in a very secular age, and I myself don't subscribe to any particular brand. However, I, my father was a pastor. I grew up in the church. We used to be in the Salvation Army. My brother right there knows what's up. We we went, um, we traveled miles and miles and miles, just, you know what I'm saying, doing that shit, um, like missionary work or whatever. And I don't, again, I, I have a lot of um, debates with myself about what God is 
and what God means and what faith and spirituality mean because there is some objective thing present in our existence. Whatever it is, though, I don't know if we can access it. And I'm just trying to understand, yeah, what is what does it mean to have faith? What does faith even mean um, in the modern day? What do people mean when they say I'm spiritual, not religious? Like that can be very ambiguous. And um, while that's a nonfiction project, I'm also working on another project side by side with that. Right now, the working title is um, called Sharon the Ferryman. And um, in Greek mythology, Sharon is the um, the the one that uh, takes you across the river Styx once you enter the afterlife. And um, basically, in the book, we're gonna encounter different people. Um, who take a trip on that boat and who they are and what their lives were. The first person I'm writing about is um, Porfirio Rubirosa. We just went, we just went on, we just went to a play. Um, I highly recommend everybody go uh, to go see the one man show by Christopher Rivas. Rivas. Yeah, Sunday's the last day to watch. The Sunday's show. the last day to watch it. It's an excellent show. He's a very complicated and conflicted character. If you need a Count cold to watch the show. Just talk to us. <laughs> Yo, not for real. We got we got we got flyers with a little cold. We, yeah. we know how to get y'all that that tickets for the low low. You know what I mean? Just let us know. But yeah, yo, we we'll see about his life and what happened to him. But yeah, yeah. At, at the same time, I feel like hearing this, the why of like just wondering of like what this work would have looked like had it been da like further down the line. I feel like not to be tackier on it, but in a way it's a sense of like, it's a capsule of that time period. That's coming out of the perspective of you just coming out of it, right? And I think it's just as important hearing this like now as it would have been further down. Yeah. And I want to add to that too, just in the sense where that's why you're only ever going to write about um, what you're going through, but what you're going through is going to change. Um, so capture it while it's here because you're going to have something else to write about probably very soon. Um, the problems never stop. Yeah. yeah. Uh, I think we have one more question. Yeah, one more. Reina, what's good? Uh, so I just want to say Feelings, feel it. <laughs> 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 
was always that was a little sarcasm on my end, but in terms of the cry part, if I if I wanted to cry right now, I would I would actually do it. You know what I mean? Um, you gotta cry. Cry at least once a month. Cry at least once every two months. Just cry, yo, because if, even if you don't find something to cry about, you know what I mean? Cause, Watch this damn movie, bro. Put it on. No look, bro. I'm on that. Yo, bro. Nah, nah. Marley and me, bro. I cry every time, bro. Marley and me, just that. That's a ooh, in the chest. You know what I'm saying? Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. I feel, I feel amazing. I feel grateful. And honestly, yo. Y'all are the first to be here on a very extensive and long journey. We're not done. This is a marathon, not a sprint. You know what I'm saying? So y'all, y'all keeping me going. Believe me, because I think about quitting at least once a week. So, you know what I'm saying? Well, Daniel, I hope that all this love, all this grace, all this healing can continue to move you and guide you. Thank you so much for sharing your story with us, for allowing me to be here and interview you. Thank you to the audience for sharing these questions with us too. Um, yeah, thank you. To wrap it all up, I just gotta give a very, I gotta give a bunch of thank yous because this would not have been possible without a, a whole team of people. So, yo, shout out Reina de la Cruz, shout out Camila Lopez, shout out, oh, you over there now, Wilfred. Shout out Wilfred Acosta, my man made the cover. As a teenager, and now I'm here doing my show. This is a staple in our hood. Well, shout to Israel Jimenez because that's just my brother in, in my brother in intelligentsia. My man be asking me hard ass questions every day, and I'm just like, damn. I'll be sitting here like this for an hour every day because of this guy. <laughs> Fucking shout Michelle Colado for freaking out here. Get your get your picture taken, yo. I don't know. I shall be offering Post that. For Michelle. But yo, shout out to Nathan Baez, Nat Burner. He low key left. Um, it's okay. Thank you for staying. Oh, he's back there. Shout out to Nathan for DJing. You know what I'm saying? He hooked it up. Um, and don't forget to donate, please. Um, Jesus Jimenez is only 28 years old, but my man is battling stage four cancer. He's got three kids, three beautiful kids, and we want to make sure he can be here as long as possible to be with his children. You can find uh, those QR codes at your table. Look, yeah, look on the QR codes for the table. I mean, look on the table for the QR codes. You know what I'm saying? One love, yo. That's, that's a wrap for the pod, yo. Yeah.